You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Kent Thomas. Kent is a social worker and body liberation coach who is passionate about helping people find freedom in their bodies. Over the last 10 years, his education and work experience has centered around one goal, working with others to find greater freedom. In this episode, we chat about his experience of being queer and how this impacted his life and the challenges he faced related to food, body image, and self-acceptance. If facing your truth feels scary to you, I promise you'll be able to relate to this episode. Enjoy! Hey, Kent. How are you today? I'm doing well, Meg. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah excited to be chatting with you today. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's a great day for me. As I was telling you, we saw five black bears outside of my house this morning, and I'm just recovering from that. It's been a little intense. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I'm glad you're safe and here. I know it's been pretty wild, a uh, crazy day for me, but I'm just happy to be recording this with you. We have so much to talk about and I can't wait to dive right in. And I really wanted to start from the beginning with you and hear about your life from the start, like your childhood. I know that you identify as a queer man and I'd love to know how that kind of played into your life growing up. Yeah. So I live in Tacoma, Washington. I grew up in Tacoma, left for school for a few years, then came back and yeah, grew up in a pretty Christian conservative environment. And I think I'm constantly sort of raveling like that brought a lot of nice and really hard things. So I think when I look back at my childhood, it's definitely feels like I existed, even though I'm in the same city it was like a whole different world of like the circle of Christianity versus where I am now is it's very stark, even though it's in the same city. Yeah, I think my childhood was there were so many lovely and great things about it. And then also there were some hard parts about like, pretty much in the same year in like third slash fourth grade, I had a seizure, and then like started to realize my queerness. Those were unrelated. I said them as if they were related, but uh, the it sounds really cool. I didn't know seizures help people realize queerness. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, they're seemingly unrelated. I think, but it was just like a really kind of that year was a shift in my childhood from, Mm -hmm. and I'm just like going along with life, feeling pretty secure in my place in the world. And then just like a lot of things shifted. And I definitely became a very anxious kid. And yeah, so that's in a nutshell. And then of course, the like being queer thing in a Christian setting was 
such an adventure and I wouldn't recommend, (laughs) wouldn't recommend it, but you know, here we are, but yeah. So that sounds like you had a lot going on. Little Kent had many layers happening in his life for sure. Sure. Many layers as well as like so much privilege, you know, like right, white middle-class, like all these things. So I had a lot going for me too, that I don't want to minimize as well. Right. Yes. Well, it's important to always be transparent about that as well. So did you have any awareness of your body at that time? Like when you were going, I know you said you had a seizure. When did your body image stuff start coming up? And did you ever have a history of like body image struggles or food disordered eating? Because I know that's something you're passionate about in your work. Yeah. So growing up, I definitely have memories of not having disordered eating when I was a kid and then growing up into like elementary, middle school. I think things did get more complicated with my seizure where there was just a ton of focus on controlling my body and preventing a seizure, whether it was through making sure I took my medicine or getting enough sleep. My body became very kind of scary. And if I didn't do the seemingly right thing, I had this fear that my body would like revolt against me again. So yeah, that kind of laid the groundwork for a really scary relationship with my body. And then it was really in high school, church became kind of the place where my eating disorder took hold. And I think since I was, you know, of course, a queer closeted kid, there was a lot going on internally. And in my church, and I think in many Christian churches, there's a lot of focus on like your body is a temple and therefore your body should look like this whatever idealized body like it's of course not based in reality but there's just like fear-mongering about gluttony or pleasure or all that so my eating disorder started in like this purity this feeling like I'm doing it right I'm not sinning and then it kind of like meshed in with queerness and how being a gay man does have some like challenges with body stuff. And I think it's a very common experience for queer men to have those experiences. So yeah, that was kind of high school on through my like mid late 20s. And thankfully, got into this work and yeah, got connected with Liberating Jasper, which they do eating disorder work. And that changed my life. So I have sort of shifted my career to focus on this stuff as well. That sounds pretty amazing. With your eating disorder, how long did that last you? And when did you realize that was truly an eating disorder and not just being like a good Christian boy? Oh, oh my gosh. It took sadly so long. (laughs) But I think, oh God, I think this is true in a lot of settings, especially Christian spaces or religious spaces. But like, what feels good, we're told that that's bad. And what feels bad, we're told that that's good. So I think it just felt like, oh, yeah, I'm sacrificing pleasure. I'm sacrificing whatever, trying to avoid the experience of feeling my animal urges and desires. So that definitely through college was a thing. And then it is interesting, as I like started to come out and left Christianity, then it was kind of a seamless thing from God is telling me to do this to then like, oh, this is just how culture, this is what I should do as a gay man. 
whether it's like compulsive exercise or restrictive eating mm-hmm. stuff. So it does feel like wherever in like so many different social contexts that kind of disordered eating is celebrated, whether mm-hmm. it's because purity and God or the thin ideal. So yeah, it took a long time. It took me until like a few years ago to realize that how I was relating with my body was stealing like so much from my life and my relationships. And then things started to change once I started to focus on that and see it as the disordered things that they are. Mm, I think that's interesting how you were able to kind of notice and observe how that disordered eating originated in the Christian community for you. And then even as you left that community, the problem didn't solve itself. It just morphed into a new version of the problem in right. and the pressures that maybe many gay men might be experiencing, which totally. I think is pretty observant of you to notice and like probably difficult to break free from. Like you just broke free from Christianity and then all of a sudden you're in a new community seeking acceptance. It's probably difficult. Yeah, it is an interesting thing. I think so many people have this experience from like one community where there's challenges to then you're like, oh, in this community, everything is great and there's no challenges. But then, of course, you realize everyone is human and whether it's in Christian spaces or queer spaces, even in like body liberation spaces, there's always going to be like inner social challenges. With that being said, though, queer people are so much more fun to be with than the Christians I grew up with. So, yeah. Fun levels definitely change, apparently. Yeah, Uh, definitely. (laughs) Well, there's an embracing of like your human nature that you were able to encounter, at least in some form. Yeah. Being able to be a part of the queer community. And, you know, on that note, I'd love to hear more about your experience entering that community, but also those challenges that you're alluding to. Yeah, I think... It does feel, I think a lot about my younger self and like try to find some sort of common thread because it does feel like when I came out, there was sort of like a night and day switch of like how I was perceived, how I perceived myself. So it can feel kind of isolating from my younger self. I think growing up in the Christian setting and like having my internal fears about being queer, like the life I live now is fully my worst nightmare growing up. Like I am the embodiment of everything I didn't want to be. So it makes sense why it was so hard to move out of that space. And when I finally started to come to terms with my sexuality, I was working at a place called Youth for Christ. And it's a very like pretty conservative organization. I was working in their like foster care realm, which had nothing to do with like Jesus things. But when I came out to them, I just like offered like, oh, I'm queer. I didn't think it would be a big deal, but it was for sure. So they told me to quit. And I said, no, which in that moment, I was like, so new in my queerness that I, I'm like, I think I have a lot of anger and sadness still that like, that's how those people who I had grown up looking up to how they treated me in that. And at the same time, it was that thing of like, this is my worst fear and I'm still here. I'm still like able to live a life that's somewhat joyful. Then going from like a Christian, like it's bad to have sex before you're married. It's like gayness is bad to then like 
exploring grinder or like going to gay clubs and realizing that it wasn't this like depraved setting. There was a lot of like connection, a lot of celebration. And like I mentioned, also, you know, hard social dynamics, all these things. So I think that process of coming out was definitely and still is like a thing of grief and celebration Mm. and sort of like honoring what I have lost in the process and celebrating what is happening now and what's new in my life. Mm -hmm. It's really striking. And I want to emphasize what you said, because there are so many people listening to this podcast, not necessarily going through the exact same journey you went through, but a lot of people think recovery will turn them into the person they're afraid of the most, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so can you speak to getting on the other side of that? Like when you were a kid, you feared becoming exactly who you are now, Mm. which is really like tough. I couldn't imagine like how, well, first of all, it's very courageous to get to a point where you're there, right? What do you have to say to the people who are terrified to maybe step into that life they're afraid of? Yeah, great question. I think, I guess my first thing would be like, to encourage people who are listening to like really just sit with it. It's hard to fear our future self or to fear what we could become. I think, you know, had I gone from my 19-year-old self who was so afraid of changing and being who I am today, if that had happened overnight, like that would have been really dangerous and really not helpful. But like every day, it's just, we get in these new experiences, we keep living and it's helpful if we can gently trust our future selves to handle what comes our way. And I think that's been like a really, for me, a really important personal lesson of like my deepest fear came true and I am so glad it did. I'm glad my past self couldn't control my future self because I would be in such a different place right now. So with recovery, I think yeah, there's so many scary things. And it's very rare for it to go from like an overnight switch one to the other. And it's that like daily process of challenging ourselves and like going deeper into freedom. I mean, my experience with coming out and changing, it's incredibly scary. And I think I still am, you know, processing things that happened in the past. So not that it's like, always easy or fun. But I know for me, it's been just like such an important thing to understand that like, I'm sure my future self now, like I want to control my life now into the future. And I'm sure that's not going to pan out as well. Like my future self is going to continually change. And yeah, I think that's kind of a vibe. Yeah. And that's a really helpful reminder too, just recognizing and reminding everyone who are afraid of what outcome recovery might bring to them is that that doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow growth process. It's a deepening, right, of closeness to freedom that happens slowly. And I think that's one way people get afraid is they think, oh, yeah, obviously you'd be afraid if you woke up tomorrow and you were living the life you were terrified of. But the journey is spread out and the wisdom that you learn every day, the small little lessons, the courage you build helps you and prepares you for that moment you're finally in that place. Yeah. And I think something that came to mind when you were saying that is like those fears, like 
So with eating disorder stuff, I think there is a lot of fear of like, what if my body changes? What if like, there's a lot of anti-fat bias, like in the fear of change, just as like, or in a similar way, like I had so much internalized homophobia about changing. And yeah, like my community that I grew up in fully did reject me, fully did. Like I was really impacted by the homophobia that was around that. So it wasn't like, oh, it was all made up. And I think similarly, like we do live in a fat phobic world. We do like there are things that are genuinely socially difficult with some of the changes that can happen in recovery. And at the same time, there's so much more opportunity for connection with ourselves, with others. But yeah, I think it's important to honor that it is scary. It's like there are some risks that we take, you know, socially, like what if my family or friends start to judge my body or judge my queerness or whatever. Yeah, this I'm with people. I just mm-hmm. so feel that. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why you might feel stuck, right? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. All those fears, a lot of them are very legitimate. Some of it might be your eating disorder lying yeah, to you, but a lot sure. of it is real. You yeah. know, the weight stigma out there is real. The homophobia out there is real. And it seems to be like a balancing act of like courage and fear. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Until you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. Pretty fascinating stuff. So on that note, as far as your own recovery went, had you discovered the body liberation movement at that point? Or like, you know, how did you end up discovering that? And did that impact your recovery? Yeah, I think it kind of happened at the same time. I think it really started through Instagram of just like, somehow liking one post, then that led to others. And like, I started to get some kind of like, fat positive or anti diet things in my Instagram feed. And as I was reading those, I think there was just a lot of recognition of like, oh, I really relate with what these people are saying about disordered eating. And I think I started to realize like, maybe I don't have to live my life so afraid of my body or so rigid or feeling this like chaoticness with my body. So yeah, I think it was like my exposure to the body liberation realm that helped me realize like, oh, I want to reach out for support and help from people who can really support me and coming home to my body. So yeah, it was kind of at the same time, but the body liberation realm helped me realize that I wanted to get into that. I love that. And it's it's true that there's a community there and with community brings a feeling of safety in some sense. And I totally see that like when you can tap into content online that opens you up to a new world and way of thinking, it is a little bit easier to find a way to accept yourself, at least from my own experience. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you are the second man ever on the show. You're the first queer man on the show. So no pressure or anything. Amazing. Uh, (laughs) Definitely expanding uh, guests. And so congratulations. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I do want to ask you, just because of you know, your identity, I'm wondering if you could speak to maybe some of the specific challenges that queer men face related to body image and disordered eating. And I know you don't represent everybody 
in your community and you have your own specific experience, but I, I've heard that there are some like unique qualities to the community that might be important to share today. Are you in eating disorder recovery and feel overwhelmed by the chaos and pressure around food and family that the holiday season brings? Join me and the Recovery Collective for the Winter Reset, a free healing experience from December 1st to the 31st designed to reconnect you to peace and rest during the holiday season. Sign up using the link in the show notes to access a free Winter Reset guidebook, a calendar of live events, and access to our Winter Reset Facebook group. Let's get comfy and cozy together and focus on recovery this December. Yeah, I definitely don't represent everyone. <laughs> and and like from the people I've worked with and my friends, I think what I've been astonished by is like, is I get to know literally like to, I don't think there are any exceptions to this. Any queer man that I get to know like, deeper at all some issues with like feeling at home in their body or feeling like their body is okay and I think you know I wouldn't be surprised if the same is for straight men as well but with for queer men I think you know of course on the surface level there's you know spaces like grinder that are just like ridiculously fat phobic racist mm -hmm. ableist I think for me I've noticed that there can be a lot of social currency in the like having what is closer to like the ideal body or being towards the top of the body hierarchy. And it's really tempting for queer men to seek that social currency when, you know, they've probably lost a lot of social currency by being queer or by like whatever. So it makes so much sense why it would come up in this way, especially like there's so many things that we could talk about, but like with same gender couples, there can be even like a lot more external comparison of like bodies or who's taller, whatever. And that can just like get into our psyches of like, it's important to compare or it's important to be better than others. And I think, you know, whether it's at queer spaces like a club or on Grindr, there can be a lot of those like reiterations of the thin ideal, the like very specific, thin, muscular, white, young, everything. Yeah, I think it hurts everyone, especially those like fat people or people of color. It of course impacts people who are like pushed to the side the most. So it's a nightmare. But I really care. Like, I think so many queer men do care about this like me. And I think it's like, we just need to organize. Like, I think we're like all here. We're all caring. And like, yeah. So I think that's great. Yeah. It sounds like there are so many factors coming into play. And I'm sure there's a part of this community. I mean, that wants more liberation in that sense. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I can feel that and hear that in your voice. And I love it. You're like, we got to organize. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. Just like talking amidst friends. And as I talk about like, the work I do, or maybe someone says something that's kind of problematic or harmful body-wise and like reframing that or something. It's so cool to see that like it resonates with others and 
yeah, it's exciting Mm -hmm. for sure. I completely relate to that just from my own perspective too. Like maybe I'm at a bachelorette party with a bunch of like straight white women or something. And even in that space, like they'll be like, so you're eating disorder recovery coach. And I bring up a little bit of anti-diet, light anti-diet conversation and the whole room relaxes. Like Mm. there is this impact just being able to say, like a little nod to anti-diet or body acceptance that feels really powerful when I get the chance to share it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's very very interesting. But yeah. Okay. I think, you know, you did a really good job explaining some of the challenges that queer men face related to body image and disordered eating and stuff like that. You also mentioned straight men. Why do you think, well, do you think this really is also a thing that's like more under wraps for straight men? Or do you think not so much? Because the social currency is there from this, you know, they haven't lost so much of that social currency. Yeah, I think there's definitely a bit of both. I guess like I do know some straight men in some deeper capacity. And I think, yeah, it's less common for body stuff to come up. And yeah, like you said, maybe that's because there just really are less challenges or because it is more under wraps and like toxic masculinity tells us that we shouldn't talk about our vulnerability. But I think there's definitely ways that we see that coming up for straight men of whether it's like tech bros who are trying to like hack their bodies or frat bros who are doing like whatever shakes and like, or Elon Musk taking some like weight loss medicine. Like there's all these examples but i think that becomes normalized of like oh this person is just like wanting to be quote-unquote healthy or something where i think with queer men there can i guess it's more overt or there's more like maybe it's less under wraps in that way but i do see a lot of similarities between Mm -hmm. straight men and queer men in that like constant search for control or having a body in the quote-unquote right way I think there are differences in that, like, like I mentioned, spaces like Grindr or other apps where there can be a lot more exposure to anti-fat bias and all of that, that I think straight men are less exposed to, which of course would be a protective factor for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need to have an episode about this, like straight men mentality around biohacking and like and stuff like that. It's wild. It's wild and it's totally diet culture repurposed, rebranded as like, I don't know, being too cool for school with your body. I don't know. Like, yeah. It's bizarre to me. Yes. <laughs> oh, I think for a lot of people, not just straight men, but like there's this search for immortality, this search for longevity of like not being a person who is going to die. And it's like, it's like <laughs> there's no I don't know where to go from there like, but yeah no, that's just I, I get what yeah. you mean that I totally get what you meant by that because it is different mindset that I do notice out there in the world and it feels like there's a superiority complex and or something going on too like oh I'm above this because I'm like ageless or I'm you know yeah anything like that so that's pretty interesting and I know that you even made a post on your Instagram I thought was really interesting and I think it's sort of related to all folks no matter what identities they have and that is you mentioned this kind of like quote religious pursuit of like having that hard tone fit body like with 
all the muscles and all the abs and low body fat. And I was wondering if you could expand on that pursuit and like maybe where the roots of that might have come from. Because I thought your post was pretty interesting. Yeah, that I've been kind of pondering that idea. I read this like 1970s psychology book called The Denial of Death. And it turns out it's like pretty homophobic because <laughs> it's 1970s <laughs> psychology. But yeah. one of the helpful things was the author did talk about like how our bodies being soft can be a reminder of that we are just an animal. Like we are animals who are aware that we are going to die. And that is so freaky, like our mortality and also that we can have both that awareness of our like ways of using symbols and thinking about life or life after death or whatnot. Like it's very scary. So to like try to make our bodies hard or seemingly immortal, like a statue or like these gods are depicted in paintings is like, that's one thing that got me started about it. And then talking with other queer men, just that ideal of hardness, whether it's abs, muscles, jawline, kind of like there's all these like hardness that's over and against softness. And I think there's something in that that just feels like to try to make to like rid our bodies of softness that like rids us of so much like mm -hmm. it's an absence like an ideal of the absence of flesh absence of pleasure absence of freedom kind of like we were talking about earlier there are social like currencies and benefits to this hardness of whether it's feeling immortal or feeling above others so these like norms exist and it does like stopping that pursuit does involve loss. And it is so like, in my experience, it's been so life-giving to be in that process of coming home to softness and vulnerability. And I think I'm still 1000% a person who is in this realm. So I'm impacted by thoughts of like, oh, you need to live really long or like the mm -hmm. hardness ideal is like so pervasive. So I think even though we can't, I don't think it's possible to like exist above it and not be impacted by it. I think it's really life-giving to continually be in the process of like honoring and coming home to our softness, vulnerability, mortality, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the hardness you're talking about really represents so much more than the physical body, although that's probably the easiest totally. To look at but like hardness of personality like rigidity discipline like all of those things that are really valued in a way are often quite problematic being reserved or closed off is a form of hardness in a way and so mm -hmm. like when you speak about softness what else outside of softness of the body sure. are you talking about yeah very good point yeah it definitely goes beyond physical things. I think like even that idea of we aren't constant throughout life, like we will change as life goes on. Like there's like the we're malleable. We like our experiences change us. People we meet changes us and things like societal things impact us for positive or negative. So I think not being like this metal rock thing that like things bounce off us, but like things enter our emotional life or social life. And that is vulnerable. That is scary. We have these like human desires and needs, whether it's 
for food, for rest, for pleasure. It can feel, I think, somewhere deep that those things are reminders of our like mortality and that we are, like I've said many times, we are just animals. Like we have these urges that we can't control. And that is scary. So I guess the softness is like being open to being impacted, being open to being vulnerable, not just physically, but yeah, socially, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's so interesting. And it's very relatable to recovery in a way as well, because we have to trust our intuition with food. And that feels like a very uncertain, soft type of approach to eating, right? Like it's very intangible. You can't measure it really. Mm -hmm. With eating, we have this hard, disciplined, like diet plan so many people want to follow. And that feels safe. And that feels like we'll live forever if we can just get this right. And then what you're saying is like, actually the process of being able to soften and like be okay with our humanness is maybe a more helpful path. Yeah. Yeah. And that there can be like gentleness amidst our process rather than this like rigid one, two, three, four, five, like. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Just so interesting to think about. And it's interesting to hear a man talk about softness because I know that is such a, I don't know, it's like a taboo thing to bring up because there's just, you know, the toxic masculinity is there for so many. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And yeah, it is interesting how, you know, toxic masculinity shows up everywhere in queer spaces as well. And I just know personally, it feels so much more connected to like welcome the softer parts of life rather than trying to be so rigid. Okay, so we can move out of this soft, rigid metaphor. I was just realizing I'm talking a lot about in like these metaphor no, terms. I'm, but... I'm intrigued. <laughs> I, I, I asked you for a reason, so don't you? <laughs> cool. Okay, so, you know, what advice do you have for folks struggling with body image or disordered eating at the moment? Let's see. I think something like that first comes to mind is recognizing that it's hard to have a body. It's hard to like, I guess not that it's hard to have a body, but it's hard in our social context, in our like all the anti-fat bias or ableism, all the things that like make it really scary to have a body. So I think honoring that there are challenges and that we're not making them up. This is a part of our existence right now. And then I think for people who are maybe like having a hard time right now struggling to feel at home in their body, I would really encourage like just honoring that it's hard right now. Like for each one of us, it's hard in our own ways to exist in this world and our bodies for so many different reasons. And I think it's powerful to just recognize that this is where we are. We can't snap our fingers and be somewhere else. I think being gentle with ourselves and not expecting perfection is really important. I don't think I've met anyone who is like perfectly at home in their bodies all the time. And so recognizing like there will always be times where it's hard to feel at home in our bodies or anything kind of like that softness thing. We're always shifting our situations are always shifting. But I think something that I've found helpful is talking around like, whether it's friends, like 
trying to reframe how we're talking about bodies or food or social media, you know, all those things of like following people who exist outside of this like very one strict way of having a seemingly quote unquote good body. And yeah, while there's all these like personal things that we can do, I think also the bigger picture things of like, in some way, there's so many structural things that need to change, like this pervasive anti-fat bias or ableism, anti-queerness. Like there are these structural things that are making it hard for everyone. And so we can do our personal, like, how can I exist in this? And then also hopefully, how can we change the more broader, like how our friends, how we relate with our friends, like the more community thing, which is of course way more amorphous and unclear, but I think that's important as well. I love that. So keeping it in almost two different realms of what can you do to support yourself and then also your community and the people around you who might be struggling. I think I actually honestly do feel like supporting community is a coping skill at times. Like you are struggling with your body image. You can turn to your community and support others struggling, right? And it's easier sometimes to tap into that version of you that's at home in your body or connecting to that concept just by talking to someone about it and their own struggles, right? For sure. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Okay, Kent. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation. I truly appreciate hearing from you. And before I let you go, I was just wondering if there's anything you'd like to promote so listeners can find you or participate in something, whatever you're doing right now. I just want to make sure everyone knows so they can find it if they're interested. Sure. Yeah. Well, social media wise, I'm mostly on Instagram at Kent Thomas MSW. I haven't posted there recently, but I constantly have the intent to post there. So (laughs) that's, and then also like my website is kentthomasmsw.com. And I work at an eating disorder clinic and as a part-time thing, then I also work with individuals doing coaching stuff. So if people are interested in that, that's there. And also I would just encourage people to seek out an anti-diet dietitian and or therapist who is well-versed in that realm. Oh, and I co-lead a group through Liberating Jasper. It's a queer virtual eating disorder support group. So for queer people who are interested in having support from others who have experience with eating disorders, there's more info on liberatingjasper.com. And I think that's it. And also in general, I just like am sending love to everyone because it's hard to be a person and I'm honored that you asked me to be here. And I'm also like, everyone has so much wisdom in their life and how to like live amidst the challenges. So I hope people can also just pat themselves on the back and know there's wisdom within them to continue in this as well. Oh, well, that's just a beautiful way to wrap this up. I, I love how you are able to remind everyone of that. And also we will provide the links you mentioned in the show notes if anyone wants to access those and kent again i just want to say thank you so much it's truly my honor to have you on the show thank you so much for being here and i'm really excited for everyone to listen to this episode cool thanks for having me make i appreciate it you're welcome 